Well, we're going to jump into the scriptures together. Book of James, chapter 3, 13 to 18. You can open your Bibles there. We will have it on the screen. Uh, but we've been talking about wisdom for the new year. That we all, hopefully, all of us, want wisdom this new year. And when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about godly wisdom. Uh, and this really, this passage in James 3 to 13 to 18 is about pursuing godly wisdom. Uh, which, which really kind of assumes two different things. One, that there is a wisdom that comes from God. That's what we mean by godly wisdom. It comes down from above. It comes from heaven. It's not just worldly wisdom. It's not just man's wisdom, but it's, it's godly wisdom. And the second thing it assumes is that there are other types of wisdom that exist. <laughs> there are other forms of quote-unquote wisdom that at least masquerade as true godly wisdom, but they're not. We had talked about how wisdom is sort of like there's a path in the woods. This is a common image in the book of Proverbs. There's a path in the woods, and you have to try to choose the right path in life. Uh, Should I take a left here? Do I take a right here? Do I go straight? Do I need to turn back? What what do I need to do here? What will lead to a more fruitful, God-honoring, God-satisfying life? More joyful in Him? What, what, What is the right way to go? We talked about godly wisdom is sort of the direction to go, giving us wisdom as to which way to choose. But friends, there are other types of wisdom that sort of speak into our life, trying to tell us where to go that are not good, uh, which is not, not good wisdom. We're bombarded with information every single day, with counsel and with advice that is not good. You should take the left here when really we should take a right, or take a right here when we should be going straight, or whatever it may be. Now I think about my own life, the number of to- different times that... Uh, I've had to make major decisions and, and seek, sought different counsel. I got different advice, whether getting married when I did, going to seminary, uh, going to the seminary that I went to, uh, coming back here as a pastor to First Baptist Church or the merger, and all these different things. I got different advice from different people, some of it good, some of it not so good, some of it just different, and trying to understand the right path to go in life. How do we choose what is godly wisdom? Look with me at James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Pursue godly wisdom. Pursue godly wisdom. Short section today, but we read this. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As we see here, calling to pursue godly wisdom. There's an outline in your bulletin, as always. But look at verses 13 to 14. Godly wisdom is shown by our actions. That's the first way to pursue godly wisdom. To know that godly wisdom is shown by our actions. He actually starts off with a question here. Um, Who is wise? 
among you? Who's understanding? So in this church that James is writing to, or this group of churches, who's the one who claims to be wise, who claims to have understanding? And actually, this is really kind of tied into the previous section, which we did not cover, so you didn't miss it. Don't worry about that. But in the previous section, right before this, you always want to understand Scripture in its context. He talks about that not many of you should presume to be teachers. So be careful about claiming to be a teacher. So what is a teacher? A teacher is somebody who has wisdom, and then imparts wisdom, that wisdom, to other people. And he's saying, be careful for those who claim to be teachers, because there were some in the churches, assumedly, who were claiming to be teachers who really didn't have wisdom, and whose lives, as we'll see, didn't reflect that. So now he's sort of testing everyone. Who claims in your church to be wise? And he says, well, show it. Show it by your good conduct. Because wisdom will always have a practical application. It will always show itself in, as it says here, good conduct in the works that are done in relation to that wisdom. We talked about this last week, that faith always, true, genuine faith, is always shown with work, by, by works. It never uh, comes alone, otherwise it's dead. So he's saying, if you claim to be wise, show it. Show it by your conduct. Let's see it. Let's see the actual fruit. Let's see what it's actually done, the result of that wisdom in your life. He calls it here the meekness of wisdom, which I like. That, that, that wisdom is humble at its heart. Uh, that if, you, if you're sort of cocky about your wisdom, you, you claim like you have so much knowledge, and you talk about like you're, you're so knowledgeable, you really don't have wisdom, because wisdom always comes, true wisdom, godly wisdom, always comes with meekness, with humility. And he talks a little bit about what the opposite of that. He says, if you're not like that, if your life doesn't reflect this, in verse 14, if your life is filled with bitter jealousy, uh, think about what he's saying there. Jealousy is when you want something that doesn't belong to you, uh, that you shouldn't have. And then you're bitter about it. You want it, and because you don't have it, you're actually angry. You're actually bitter uh, about not having what you think you deserve. That's what bitter jealousy is. If that's your life, or it's selfish ambition, so driven by a a sort of a self-centeredness, a desire for more praise and glory for yourself, that's selfish ambition. If that's what's in your hearts, he's saying, then don't claim to be wise. Recognize that your life doesn't reflect the wisdom that is from above. Don't boast, he says. Don't be false to the truth. Don't claim to be wise if your life really doesn't show it. Or you're being false to the truth. You're being a hypocrite. One who claims something that he doesn't have. Actually, just be quiet. It's probably the best thing to do, right? If you're, if you're not wise and your life doesn't reflect it, then just be quiet. I like what uh, Proverbs 17, 28 says. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs is, of course, the book of wisdom. Uh, but this is a great verse. It says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So if you're in a room of people, and let's say you're talking about a subject and you don't even know anything about it. Let's say you're talking about politics and whatever it is, libertarianism and all that stuff. You're, you're having this con- lengthy conversation and uh, everyone's you know, spouting out there what they believe about this and their arguments are going on. There's one person just quietly sitting there, just looking at everybody and listening. What's everybody in the room going to think? Man, that guy really is really wise. Or that lady is really wise. She must know a lot. Even though you might be thinking about lunch. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Because you're quiet, you're, you're deemed to be wise. So he's saying here, friends, don't claim a wisdom that you don't have. Friends, we should look, when we look for examples of wisdom, when we look for wisdom, look to examples who have shown it. They've shown it by the life which they've lived. One uh, commentator Uh, Dan Doriani says the New Testament commands believers roughly 30 times to imitate someone or something. About half of those command us to imitate a Christian leader, such as Paul or an elder. The rest direct us to imitate Jesus 
or the Father. So we gain wisdom by looking for examples who have shown, it, shown that wisdom by their conduct. You know, when I'm looking for someone who's wise, when I'm looking for wisdom from somebody, I'm looking for a veteran. <laughs> I'm looking for somebody who has experience. You know, you want someone who is, who's like, you know, a World War II vet or a Vietnam vet, you know, someone with the scars. You know, someone's got that shrapnel in their body. They can't pass through a metal detector at the airport because they got too much shrapnel. Somebody who could tell you some war stories. You know, they, they have experience in life. They've shown their wisdom by their conduct. That's why, by the way, this is just total aside. I think the Pats are going to win today uh, because they have experience. So you've got a young, energetic, athletic team, Jacksonville, and then you have the Pats who have, or aging, but they have the experience. And I think experience usually beats athleticism. That is not a word from God, okay? So if they lose today, don't hold that against me. I just think the Pats are going to win today. But you've heard this, this statement, if you, those who can't do, teach, right? That's not entirely true. Uh, somebody may teach because they want to pass on to the next generation and so forth. But there is some truth to that, isn't there? Uh, somebody who is so quick to teach and to talk about themselves, are they living it out? Are they doing it? And I think about, in Scripture, the calling to be, to be a pastor, one of the things it says specifically, or to be an elder, is they must not be a recent convert. Not, they can't be someone who, who came to faith in Jesus recently. And there's good reason for that. You need someone who has some experience. They've hit some of the, the highs and the lows in life. They've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and they've walked into green pastures. Somebody who has that type of experience. And I remember I started as a young pastor. I was not a recent convert, but I was a young pastor. And uh, about 10 years ago, let's say, I had a lot to learn. <laughs> um, I made a lot of mistakes as a young pastor. Now, you've you got to do it. Uh, how, the only way you become an older pastor is by being a younger pastor first, right? So you've you got to learn from, from those mistakes. But I look back and I shake my head at some of the things, uh, uh, some of the decisions and some of the things I've did 10 years ago. I still make a lot of mistakes, all right? But less, I think, than 10 years ago. You, you learn from experience and hopefully it shows wisdom by your actions. I don't know what I would have done to get serious for a minute, walking into a room to meet a sister in Christ who just found out that her second child died in 24 hours, for surrounded by a family who is grieving and trying to help minister to her, care for her when she is uncontrollable. I don't know what I would have done 10 years ago. I don't know how I would have walked into that room. I don't know what I would have said. I don't know how I would have handled it. I still don't know whether I handled it well, but nevertheless... We learn from experience, and hopefully our conduct begins to show whether we have wisdom or not. You know, friends, when it comes to, to churches, when it comes to ministry, I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of, of, of those who are all talk. You know, they talk a big game about ministry, but they don't, they don't get, they're not willing to come and get your hands dirty. <laughs> you know, come and minister, come and serve, come and, and act, do something about it. Actually come and serve and visit somebody or care for somebody or help somebody, help somebody move or help somebody paint or willing to open up your wallet or open up your, your pocketbook and to give to us to something. Do we just talk or are we people who show it by our conduct? Are we, part, are we like Missourians? Who are Missourians, right? The show me state. Everybody knows Missouri is the show me state. I was wondering about that, so I looked up the uh, background of that. There's different origins to why they call it the show me state, but uh, one, one major one, is a speech by a congressman by the name of Willard Van Diver, who in 1899 said this, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton. 
Cockleburs and Democrats. I don't even, I didn't know what a cockleburr were, was. Did you, I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but I had to look it up. It's a type of plant thing. Uh, and frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri and you have got to show me. <laughs> That's what he said. Show me. Don't just tell me. Prove it by your actions. I think that's what James would say about wisdom. Let him show it by his good conduct, by the meekness of wisdom. I think you've realized that, friends. I think in local churches all the time, uh, there are folks in a church who are great at talking a big game, and then there are those who are willing to get there and serve on time and help out and do whatever needs to be done. I could give you example after example after example on the good side uh, from our church, but I won't do that. Just We have plenty of examples of folks who are like that very thing. They show it by their actions. French, I would just encourage you and us from the scriptures here, show by your actions your wisdom. Uh, don't just talk about it, but show it. How do we do that? First of all, be humble. <laughs> be humble and recognize that you don't have wisdom in every area, that there are things that you and I both have to learn. Uh, when, when people start talking about IT and computers, I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know much. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm completely computer illiterate, but nor am I very computer, you know, very, uh, what's the opposite of very, very literate, I guess? Uh, 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 somewhere in between. But if I claim to know what I'm talking about when it comes to a lot of this stuff, I'm just going to get us into a mess. I've got to turn to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. I don't know much about medicine. When it comes to health issues and ailments and that kind of stuff, I am no expert. So if I give you advice from, uh, from in, in the medical sense, uh, don't just take it with a grain of salt because I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to medicine. Go to somebody who really does have wisdom in that area. Uh, and just one other one, just for the heck of it, I don't know much about electricity. Um, so cha- turn to somebody who actually knows it, like, you know, James or something. You know, there's a, the bumper sticker, electricity is not a hobby or something like that, right? That's me. I, I don't even want to get into it because I'll probably zap myself or somebody or something like that. So recognize there are areas you don't have wisdom, <laughs> and that's okay. As he says here, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you don't have wisdom and your life doesn't reflect it, don't claim it. Second, live it out. Put it into action. Put it into life. When you hear from the scriptures here on Sunday morning, when you read the scriptures at home, look to its application in your life. It's it's not about Bible trivia. (laughs) It's about taking his word and applying it. I like what uh, D.A. Carson said. The the point of reading the scriptures is not to master the the Bible. It's to be mastered by the Bible. (laughs) To let it master over your life. You're in my life. And, you know, I love it when, when folks come ready on Sunday morning to hear from God. And they take the scriptures and they apply it. And I know some of you guys, again, I won't point anyone out particularly, but you'll talk to me after the sermon and you'll say, that applied to my life in this very specific way. And I love that because that means you're probably coming prayerfully looking to how it applies. Wisdom is shown by its actions, by its good conduct. Be patient. Uh, some things are only learned by experience. Uh, They're only learned by pain. They're only learned by repetition. They're only learned by years and years uh, of experience, of patience. So be patient uh, as God is doing this work, as Pastor Mike said, in in your heart of sanctification. Even as right now you're with his people, you're singing his praises, he's he's doing a work in you. Be patient with that work. And always make sure your speech and your conduct go together. It's not just about words. It's about actions. And it's not just about actions either. It's about words. So we don't just let people see Christ-likeness in us. We also tell them a message that can save them. We tell them the message of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. 
That's a big difference, I think, friends, by saying we should show, we, our, our, our actions should align with what we say and saying, I don't need to say anything, I just show it my actions. No, all over the scriptures, we could go through it, uh, we're told to tell people this good news about Jesus, not just our actions. We have to speak up for Jesus as well. Godly wisdom is shown by our actions. Look with me at 15 to 16. Beware then of ungodly wisdom in this world, of ungodly wisdom. In this world, as I said, the assumption is that this is not the only type of wisdom. So what does he say here? This is not, what is the this there? He's referring to, piggybacking on what he just said about sort of selfish ambition, uh, bitter envy, that whole thing. That's not the wisdom that comes from above. And I love that because he talks about a wisdom from above, a wisdom that comes from heaven. Uh, when we say godly wisdom, that's what we mean. We literally mean that God has given us wisdom. He's imparted us something from heaven. That's godly wisdom. But there is a wisdom, as he says, quote-unquote wisdom, um, that comes not from above, uh, that does, comes not from heaven. It originates where, then? It originates with man. Uh, and actually, even worse than that, he describes it here as earthly, unspiritual, demonic. <laughs> Remember that, friends, that it's not just us and God. There is also a spiritual evil at work as well that would love to deceive you and encourage you to go the wrong way. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Uh, it leads to pride. Uh, it leads to, as he just says here, disorder. Uh, what does he mean by that? Chaos. It leads to infighting, conflicts, battling with each other, which is really the next section, the follow-up section, where he talks about why are there quarrels and fights among you because there's this lack of wisdom. He says he leads to every vile practice. That's the end of verse 16 there. A nice broad term that includes everything. <laughs> Every evil practice. So ungodly wisdom leads to, or worldly wisdom leads to every other type of sin you can imagine. It leads us away from God. It leads us to sin. I like what David Wells said, claim and conduct must be compatible. Or Rick Warren, you know, he's good with his little statements here. Creeds must be turned into deeds. <laughs> it's good. Let it one show the other. Or Martin Luther said, truly, if faith is there, the believer cannot hold back. He breaks out into good works. One is shown by the other. Know that all, not all wisdom is godly. Uh, many claim to be wise or claim a certain wisdom, and it's just typical worldly stuff. Uh, you know the old image, you see it in TV shows, I don't even know where it comes from, but you know, the demon on one side or the devil on one side and the angel on the other, right? That's not biblical, all right, just so you know. But the idea that there are in your ear uh, those who are speaking ungodly wisdom or worldly wisdom regularly. And those in the other ear, perhaps, speaking godly wisdom, is absolutely biblical. And wisdom is to take what is good and to put it into practice. We have folks who are regularly, or things that are regularly speaking, ungodly wisdom into your life. Whether that's non-Christian friends who are telling you to do one thing. Whether that's false teachers, like some TV preachers. Live for money, live for yourself, and you can be rich, and all that type of stuff. Whether that's some self-help book. Whether that's even at times Christian friends who give you bad advice or even your own heart. So sorry, Hollywood is wrong. Following your own heart is not always good. <laughs> Sometimes your heart will lead you astray. Friends, we look instead to the scriptures. Before we get there, though, I think of, of, of ungodly wisdom. Today is a sanctity of human life Sunday, as we said. So think of when it comes to selfish ambition, Right? You should get an abortion because it's going to affect your life. It's going to be such a burden on your life. Why do you want that burden on your life? 
Or that child is going to have Down syndrome. And that's just, you just don't want to bring a child like that into this, this world. Ungodly wisdom based on selfish ambition and pride. Or jealousy. I think of when somebody advises you in marriage, you should get a divorce and you should take everything you can, get everything you can out of it. Make sure you, you hit her hard with this divorce. That's ungodly wisdom. And I've counseled people who are getting that in one ear all the time as I'm trying to give them different advice from the other ear. I was talking to a, somebody who was, give, who was telling me a story about one person just to, to display this idea of jealousy, right? Uh, when it comes to, to marriage, they were getting divorced and the husband said, you know what? I don't want anything. I don't want it. She can have everything. All I want is my motorcycle. She can take everything else, the house, the car, bank accounts, just give me the motorcycle. So they talked to the wife and she said, I don't want anything. I don't want the house. I don't want the car. I don't want the bank accounts. I just want his motorcycle. (laughs) That, friends, is jealousy. That is bitter jealousy and envy. Or when it comes to your job, you just make your decisions of where you're going to move based only on money and advance and selfishness or there are other factors like family, like church, like, like your joy in what you're doing and the type of job work that you're doing. Keep in mind that Satan is an angel of light. He's deceitful. He's tricky. He likes to make worldly wisdom look good. He likes to make ungodly wisdom seem godly and take caution in that. There are different paths to take and make sure you're taking the wise one. I thought it was interesting. Um, You guys know the song, Stairway to Heaven, right? Yes, there are two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And it, and it makes me wonder. Here's what I would say about Led Zeppelin. He got the first part right. <laughs> there are two paths you can go by. And be careful. But I think he got the second part right. We don't always have time to change. Be wise about making good and right decisions. How can we guard against worldly wisdom? Just a few words of advice. First of all, know the scriptures. I know you hear that application a lot in my sermons, but it's true. God has spoken to us in his word. So make sure you're regularly hearing the word, regularly reading the word. You have to have it in you. You've got to get the worldly wisdom in you. you got, I mean, the, the godly wisdom in you. You've got to hear it in multiple occasions, in multiple different venues, so you know what his word teaches. Uh, second, I would say get God, good and godly counsel. Uh, make sure you're, you're listening to people who do love the Lord, who know his, his word, people who are going to teach you the word well and are going to advise you and give you good counsel. They're not going to tell you just what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what is good and what is right. You find that hopefully in a church. You find that hopefully in a community group. So definitely, uh, if you're not involved in a community group, please consider jumping into one. We have one available almost every day of the week. Um, we want to surround ourselves with good Christian friends. Some people say, well, how do I know if I, you know, we want to be like Jesus and we want to be, have non-Christian friends as well. And we want to reach people. And how do I know whether I should have this, these non-Christian friends or only these Christian friends? And how do I make the decision? Very easy. <laughs> Who is influencing whom? Are you influencing them for good? Then yes, that's Jesus' life. Are they influencing you for, toward, away from God? Then that is exactly what you're called to avoid. Who's influencing whom? And friends, I would also say, consider the results. Consider the results of worldly wisdom. What has it led people to? Has it led them to know God more? Has it led them to greater maturity in the faith? What what has it led them to? Consider its end, its outcome, its fruit. And then look back and see whether whether that is really, truly wise. 
And then lastly, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. (laughs) God's not done with us. His Spirit is with us right here and right now. He's within his people. He's at work in your conscience. He gives you the gift of discernment. So you're praying regularly for God to speak to you, to give you wisdom in making decisions. And then thirdly, godly wisdom bears a lot of fruit. Look at verses 17 and 18. Godly wisdom bears a lot of fruit. Really good fruit. And uh, I love fruit. Anyone here love fruit? I'm, I'm, the older I get, and I'm not that old, I mean, but I'm turning 40 this year. So I'm getting old. The more I love fruit. I try to have a fruit smoothie every morning. And uh, I got some pictures of fruit just to see how beautiful fruit is. Right? Do we got those? Fruit is, is colorful. It's sweet. It's tasty. It's good for you, which is amazing, right? It's good for you and tasty at the same time. And I just want to get you, get you in love with fruit because he says godly wisdom is going to bear fruit and he's using fruit in a very good, positive example. Of course, he's talking not here about physical fruit, but as he describes it, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. I think that's interesting, isn't it? It's not closed-minded, it's not stuck in its way, it's not stubborn, it's not my way or the highway or I want things the way I want them and things I'm used to them and things that make me comfortable. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy. Uh, mercy should be all over the place in your life. You're not just looking for justice, you're looking for mercy. Uh, it's full, he says directly, of good fruits. It's fair, so it's impartial, and it is sincere. The opposite of being false to the truth. It is fair, it's uh, sincere, it's genuine, it's non-hypocritical. Verse 18, it, it produces, as he describes here, a, a harvest of righteousness. Uh, not just a, a few sort of apples here and there. <laughs> a harvest, a winter harvest of righteousness. Uh, if you live with, wisely, it results in a harvest of righteousness. You know, one thing about living in New England are all the, the farms that we have here. I love all the farms we have here. If you haven't jumped, you know, go to a farm in, in the fall, get an apple cider donut and some apple, fresh apple cider and uh, some uh, pumpkin pie. And, you know, enjoy the farms because the winter harvest here is one of the most amazing parts of living in New England. He describes here a harvest of righteousness comes. Of course, harvest you have to wait for. So sometimes being wise takes time before there's a harvest that eventually comes. But a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who, in peace, by those who make peace, which is part of wisdom, to, be, to seek after peace. Jesus said, similarly, that by your fruit you will know people. That a good tree always bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So a decayed, sick tree bears bad fruit, but a healthy tree will bear good fruit. Uh, The actions that we do in our life are the overflow of our desires. We do what we want. How do we change our desires? That has to do with our will. We desire what the will desires. And the will comes out of our nature. So what our nature determines we want, we want. And what we want, we do. So how do we change this? We change our very nature. Which can only be changed in Jesus, friends. In Christ, he gives us a new nature in him. He changes our very being. He changes the tree to be a different tree, a good tree. And that eventually produces good fruit, friends. When you have faith in Christ, it changes everything. It changes your worldview. It changes your belief system. It changes your core values. It's the source of all, everything that changes your actions. See, we always want to change behavior first. We want to change how we act or how somebody else acts. And that always fails because we're trying to change something that really can't be changed. Our behavior is just a result of our nature and what we want in life. But God does something different. He goes after the heart. That's what the gospel does. It changes us. It makes us new. It's really helpful by 
in parenting, by the way, and actually for grandparents too. A great book by a guy named Ted Tripp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And he talks about this very thing. And just trying to change your kid's behavior is, is not going to work. You've got to get to the heart. Why do they desire what they desire? Do they understand who God is and who they are in relation to him? Uh, just thinking back at that, uh, think of the sheep and the goats. Uh, we talked about that last week. And the sheep go on one side, the goats go on the other. Um, how do they get determined who goes on what side? And a, a surface reading would say, by what they do. By what they do. So the sheep do good things, so they get to be on Jesus' right side. The goats do bad things, so they get to be on Jesus' left side. Actually, that's not true. He's already separated them by the time he talks about that. They're, ch- they're sided on which side to go on by their nature. Are they sheep or are they goats? And the sheep do what is good because that's who they are. And the goats do what is evil because that's who they are. Just like a good tree bears good fruit. My point being, friends, those who seek wisdom, who have that foundation in Christ, it produces good fruit, it produces a harvest. Friends, I hope uh, that there will be a lot of fruit (laughs) in your life from godly wisdom. A lot of fruit in my life and in your life and in our church. And what I mean by that, what is fruit? We haven't actually defined it. Uh, What is fruit? And that's a number of different things, I think. Uh, I think it has to do partly with joy and happiness. A joy, a genuine joy, a real, true joy that comes from faith in Jesus. That's a fruit, the fruit of a life that is wise. A life lived to the full. And we see this in a number of different uh, places. I think of John uh, Augustine, the early uh, theologian. He said, God is the fountain of our happiness. He is the end of all our desires. Life lived for him should be happy because he's the fountain of happiness. So Jonathan Edwards said, He has created man for this very end to make him happy. Surprising? In the enjoyment of himself, the Almighty, who is happy from the days of eternity in himself. Or one more, Charles Spurgeon said, Those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. (laughs) I hope that's true. Living for God is a joy. There is a joy and a happiness that comes from Him as the source of all joy. It's more than that, though. I think a fruit is a changed life. It should affect how you live. It should affect the way you treat your family and should treat, you treat your friends. Uh, people should look at it and see there's a difference in you because you follow Christ. You're not like those who don't, or you're not like yourself at the past when you didn't follow Christ. Uh, he is at work changing you. That's the fruit of a change, a fruit of, a, of wisdom. Uh, I, I, sometimes I, I cringe at some of the things I've said and done in the past. Anyone else do that? Come on, don't, I don't want to feel alone here. Okay, good. I look back at my past and I think of some of the things I used to say and do. I remember one time, and I'm not going to tell you any of the things I used to do, but I, I remember meeting my roommate from college, and I was a Christian at the time, but, and I remember having to, I just, he's a lawyer in Connecticut, and we stayed with him, and I had to just tell him, Chris, I just want to say I'm sorry for just some of the, some of the stuff I did back in college and the Selfishness, And he looked at me and said, you know what? <laughs> I was waiting for it. I wanted to say to you the same thing. I wanted to say sorry for the, my immaturity. And I just wanted to show you that I've, I've changed. We both wanted to say and show one another how much we've changed in life, how much we've grown uh, from that point. You look back and hopefully there is a change in your life. That's fruit. And then I think fruit also has to include affecting others. Because fruit, what is fruit? Fruit is that which has seeds in it. It's a tree, tree's way of, or a plant's way of reproducing itself. 
Uh, it sends out fruit with seed in it so that an animal will grab the fruit or a person, whatever, take it and move the seed and so they can continue to repopulate. And so I think in a sense, friends, fruit is that for us as well. Christians make other Christians. <laughs> Christians lead other people to faith in him. Uh, help others to know him. Are you leading other people to faith in the Lord Jesus? Friends, I hope that's true of you individually. I hope it's true of us as a church. I hope we can look around and see fruit. Babies that are alive because of the Pregnancy Care Center and our generosity. That would not be alive today if it weren't for the fact that you gave and you served and you volunteered and you helped counsel, whatever it is. Marriages that are saved because of the ministry of this church. That would not be, people who would not be together right now, right here, if it wasn't for this church. People walking with Jesus right now who would not be if it weren't for our church family. Hope we can see that fruit alive in this world. Pursue the wisdom that is from above. It's shown by actions. There's a caution here to beware of worldly wisdom and the hope for lots of fruit. First Baptist Church, as I said, 253 years old this year. Um, Years of sowing have gone in. Years of praying years of working, years of teaching, years of loving, years of giving. And hopefully we're starting, we're, we're starting, we've seen the fruit and we continue to see a harvest of righteousness. Continue, friends, to choose the high road, to choose to pursue godly wisdom, to keep praying and to wait upon God for the fruit that he produces in a harvest of righteousness. Would you pray with me? Well, our our gracious Father, thank you so much for the scriptures this morning. Thank you that you always bring your word to your people in a way that is appropriate and good. And Lord, you have a way of speaking to your people, speaking to your church family, as only you can do, to meeting us where we're at. Whatever our struggles, whatever our pain and hurt and grief, whatever we're celebrating and rejoicing in, whatever we're thinking about and mulling over, whatever questions we may have, Lord, we pray that you would take the scriptures and knit it into our lives and speak to us a word we can hear from you. Continue, Lord, to use this church to bear great fruit. And by say, when I say this church, I don't mean this building, of course. I mean this people, this community, this group of Christians who have gathered together. Help us, Lord, to bear much fruit for you and for your kingdom. And I pray, of course, for any here who don't know the Lord Jesus, so grateful that they would come and be with us this morning. Maybe are just questioning or thinking or considering what they believe. Perhaps, Lord, you would speak to them today too, Lord. And show them yourself. Show them what we know, Lord, that you're beautiful and good and perfect. That you loved us so much, particularly in the person of your son Jesus and his gift for us on the cross and in the resurrection, but also by the presence of your spirit. We pray you'd help us, Lord, to bear much fruit, whether that's the joy of the Lord or change lives or seeing new people come to faith in you. Bring in a harvest, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.